0: welcome back listeners we're back with another episode we're going to talk about some games we're going to talk about some some board game community stuff some stuff today that's yeah we we always talk what? about stuff <laughs> in the... <laughs> that's a podcast
1: we're going to talk about some stuff um i'm maggie i'm billy and this is into,
0: into the, the meepleverse Verse.
1: So, Billy, how are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I've been playing some some games on TTS since the last time we talked. I've been... Um, some, some of the games that I pre-ordered came in at the friendly local game store, so I'm going to be picking them up when I can. Um,
1: oh, nice. Same with me.
0: Oh, yeah? What what showed up for you? Alma Mater. Oh. oh, I just want to play that.
1: I know. I haven't played it yet, but I'll play it and then talk
0: about it next time oh i look forward to that
1: so what came in for you
0: uh the parks expansion came in um also parks
1: (laughs) i was gonna say i was like i didn't know you even had parks
0: yeah yeah i i I pre-ordered it last january i didn't think i was pre-ordering it i got like a restock notification from our local local game store and i thought sweet yeah i'd love this game i want it And I bought it and then I found out it was a pre-order and I was like, ah, well, I guess it'll be in in a couple months. And then it was a full year because of maybe COVID, but like, I don't know if it was actually, like, I don't know when it was supposed to come out, but it was a full year and I was just sitting there going, I'm just sad.
1: (laughs) Honestly, I like that because then you forget about it and then when it arrives, it's so exciting. It's like something that you haven't spent money on in a long time. So it just feels like a free game.
0: See Maggie, I didn't forget about it. I was oh. <laughs> thinking about Parks the whole year. Every day. Every day. I just I just wanted to play it. So I've gotten two plays of it in since getting it. And then the, the expansions already showed up. So that's exciting.
1: They didn't make you wait a year for the expansion?
0: Uh, well, I ordered the expansion in the summer. So I could just like wait four months and then go pick it up. But
1: Right. Um, parks is one that I have been dying to play. I'm jealous that you own it.
0: Well, hopefully, like, the vaccine is going to start going out, and, like, I don't really expect to have a regular summer. I don't think it's going to be a summer where you just do whatever you want. You go to, like, clubs, and you dance, and you make out with strangers. I don't think it's going to be that kind of summer.
1: Were those regular Billy summers?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what my summers tend to look like. (laughs) Uh, but I do <laughs> nice. think we're going to be able to expand our circles and expand who we see a little bit over the next few months, and I'm excited to actually get to like spend some like face-to-face quality time with you as a human.
1: Same. I mean, I'm I'm really excited. I on since Ontario has gone into the more like strict lockdown, which actually didn't really mean anything at all. Uh, <laughs> I have not been playing any Gloomhaven anymore or like seeing any gaming friends at all so but i have been playing more arkham horror card game again which is what we're talking about today (laughs) yeah part three well no part three will probably come at some point but it's not coming today
0: okay okay um but yeah i'm looking forward to playing some games we can play some parks we can play some alma mater we can play some vikings in the park oh that'd be so nice
1: that would
0: be nice so maggie what would you like to talk about today
1: I have a game, and it's a Never Forget Your First. It's another game that I picked up recently. I actually am 1% worried that you've talked about this game before, but I don't think you have. But I couldn't find the spreadsheet where you had all the games. But it's, and I also don't know how to say it really, but it's Praga Caput Regni.
0: Okay, okay. I, I have not talked about that before. The only reason
1: um, I thought you had talked about it before is because it's the same designer as Underwater Cities.
0: It and is. I like, it is. I'm
1: surprised that Billy hasn't talked about this <laughs> or like mentioned it at all or anything. Well,
0: I just played it in January for the first time on Tabletop Simulator.
1: Oh, so you've played it.
0: I have. I have. Just okay, once. Interesting. Just once.
1: Yeah, I've, al- I've also just played it once. Physical copy? Physical copy, which... Honestly, it might be better on Tabletop Simulator because I was like, it was a game <laughs> where I had to, you, I was standing up for the full game because like the board is really big and there is no part of the board that you can really ignore. Okay.
0: So. Okay. I, I see what you mean. Um, can I ask a few clarifying questions right off the top? Yes. Yeah. Um, so obviously we'll get into like how the game works and whatnot, uh, designed by Vladimir Suchi, but I want to know importantly, what player count did you play at?
1: i played it two player
0: okay and so
1: and i have stuff to say about that as well this is like spoiler alert for the end of my talk so we go on Uh, what was your other question
0: and then my other question is did you so the game comes with all kinds of like customization and different tracks that you can use did you use just the standard tracks and everything we use
1: just the standard we use like it was what's recommended for like the beginner or the first play or whatever like we use just the regular stuff. Awesome. Because, I, well, we only played it one time.
0: Yeah, of course. Um,
1: and to be honest, I, we kind of were down to run it back right after. But then I was like, well, if I play it again, I can't call it and never forget your first. <laughs> and I have been standing for the last three hours. And it's not, like, a comfortable standing. It's like you're hunched over this game standing. So only played it the <laughs> one time.
0: Cool, 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 cool. Well let's Uh, let's, go let's do it yeah what do you want to say about it? okay
1: so well i guess first i'll talk about it i'm not going to get into every single detail of how this game works because there are a lot of different parts in it and i think you can get the gist of it just from talking about kind of the six main actions that you take great uh so in this the premise of the game is that you are wealthy citizens trying to gain favor with king charles by organizing various building projects in prague you're going to win by getting the most points at the end of the game, or having the most points at the end of the game. And it's going to take place over 16 rounds. So every single game, you're always going to get 16 turns. And like a lot of games, in the beginning, your turns are going to be super short, and by the end your game, turns are going to be, like, much longer and a lot thinkier. Um, so, actually, I wanted to ask, how would you describe... Now that I know that you've played it. So, I think they call it an action, like crane like the thing that you turn when you take actions but i don't think crane is like a good name for it because it's like a cog wheel type thing
0: um, yeah i would probably call it a gear
1: yeah okay gear is immediately a better word i don't so, know if
0: that's like right thematically but it's kind of what it like looks like and what it feels like
1: mm-hmm yeah, it definitely looks like a gear, and it's gonna turn. And um, the like game end trigger slash how you keep track of the rounds is really cool. I really like all the components in this game. I don't know how well it like looked on tabletop simulator, but like in real life, the components of this game are really nice and they really work together quite well.
0: Tabletop simulator just made me want to touch the components in real life because it just yeah. looks like the production of this game is so outstanding.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it was really well done, and all the pieces are really nice. Also, one thing, there was definitely something that said how to pack the box that we couldn't find at the end, and I really wish we had it, because
0: <laughs> packing
1: it was a bit of a nightmare. But, um, So, on this little gear, you, there's six different actions that you can take, and in each slot in the gear, there's a space for two actions, and when you go, you're going to take one of those two actions and then do one of the things. Um, if you imagine the gear like a clock, if you take an action between 12 and 4, you're going to have to pay to do that action. If you take an action between 4 and 7, you can just do that action for free. And if you take an action between 7 and midnight, you're going to actually get points for taking that action because it has been not selected for such a long time. Um, so... That's going to be how you're selecting your actions, and that element's really cool because that's also how you keep track of the rounds. Um, so there's six different actions that you can take, and they're going to be on this little action board that's beside each player. And this action board is like six hexagons with one in the center, all connected. The six different actions you can take is the first one you can upgrade, and when you upgrade, you're going to buy a hexagon tile that you'll place on top of that action on your action board. So you could upgrade the upgrade action so that whenever you take the upgrade action, uh, you'll also get a coin or you'll also get a stone.
0: Notably, that is uh, what I did as like my first action.
1: <laughs> you made upgrading better. Yeah. yeah upgrading yeah. just like seems really good. Like I did a couple upgrades, but by the end of the game, I wish I had, I wish I had just upgraded way more stuff. Anyway, so that's the upgrade action there's also actions to gain stone or gold and every player is going to also have this player mat that keeps track of like how much gold you have how much stone you have also um, income tracks for each of those things so at the start of the game you're going to start on the three for stone and the four for gold so if you want to gain gold you'll gain everything to the left of where your marker is or, when you gain gold, you can instead just move up one on that income track, so in future rounds when you take the gain gold action, you'll be getting more gold, and you'll also get one for just increasing that track. So it's like a lot of early game, you're just trying to like bump up those tracks, or at least that's what I, that's what I did in my first play, but I don't know if that's like the right strategy to do, but it seemed to work out kind of okay. Um, so yeah, so there's the upgrade, you can take gold, you can take stone. Um, you can also build walls around your uh, action selection little map beside you, and walls are going to do various things. There are also hexagons that you purchase off of the main board, uh, and on the main board there's a supply. So there's four upgrades, four walls, and four buildings, um, and as soon as you buy them they get refreshed. Um, So you're going to be building walls around um, around your action board, and they give you various things. And there's also buildings that you can put on the actual board of the game. Of the four tiles that you can buy for each of these things, there's also one special tile. And you can only buy this special tile if your bonus action on the gear indicates that you can do so. So when you're selecting your action, Uh, You're going to take the action off of the gear, and each slot has a connected bonus. So, the bonus might be gain two coins, or gain a point, or gain an egg, which I'll get to in a second. (laughs) Um, Which I thought was very weird, but then I looked up why it was eggs, and it was actually kind of interesting, and I'll explain that in a second as well. Um, But then there's also a special symbol, and you can only take these special tiles if you've picked an action that is connected to a bonus with that has that special symbol on it, which I thought was really interesting too because sometimes you just like really want a special tile, but your actions aren't lining up with those special bonuses and you can never get them. Um, The last action you can do is the construction of the Charles Bridge. Um, There's this bridge along the center of the board um, that you can move along. And spend eggs to gain a benefit, which is, I guess, building the bridge. But it's just, like, getting really good actions and eventually getting even more cool stuff. Um, So why it's eggs is... I love
0: this. I love this so much.
1: (laughs) According to legend, eggs were an essential component of the mortar used to build uh, build Charles Bridge. The king demanded that cartloads of eggs be brought to Prague for the construction. One village, confused by the king's request, sent their eggs hard-boiled um it may seem quite quaint to construct a bridge from such humble ingredients but charles bridge has been standing strong for over 600 years so that's why it's eggs that you're spending yeah I you, gotta re- they were just like, you gotta it was respect like, it yeah I, I do respect it and it was kind of like like it's stone gold and then just these random eggs, <laughs> eggs. It really didn't seem to fit in with the theme but i guess it does um yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So. You're going to be placing all these tiles on this little sideboard that you have and on the main map. And there's, it's interesting because there's almost a bit of a puzzle element to it. Because <laughs> oh, if no. You, oh no. Oh <laughs> no. Not not in the puzzle way that I hate, but like in a good way, because like if you match up symbols, you're going to get tokens. If you make things connect on your board, you're going to get like these stained glass windows, which allow you to take bonus actions or move up on these other <laughs> buildings, which I haven't talked about yet, but you're also going to have these, it's called, I think, the Hunger Building and the Cathedral. Um, and each player is going to have a marker on there. And on the Hunger Building, you're either going to, always going to be moving to the left, and on the Cathedral, you're always going to be moving to the right. And depending on how far to the left and to the right you get on each building, it's going to make these tokens that you've collected throughout the game worth more points. And depending on how high you get up on each of those buildings, you're going to get more points as well. There are a million different ways in this game to get points, and I'm still not sure what, like, the best way to do it is. And this game is also a game where you're like, there's so much that I want to do, and you're not going to be able to accomplish any of it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that.
1: Especially because, like, in the beginning, you're like, yeah, well, I'm just going to do this action. And then by the end, you realize, oh, I only have four actions left, and there's so much that I want to do. And if you acquire these gold, gold windows you can spend them to get an extra action on your turn but they're actually really hard to come by. I kind of thought that they were gonna be a lot easier. also it was just my first play so maybe maybe it will be easier once I like understand the game more. yeah um, So I go
0: yeah I, like I, one thing that I think is really interesting about this game is think think of that upgrade action and you're like well I'm gonna I'm gonna t- spend an action to upgrade this action and make it better in the future. And then it's like, well, I'm going to do that again. So I'm going to upgrade two actions. That right there is like 13% of your entire game.
1: Yeah. And it's like, if you upgrade them all, like, you're not even going to get to do the other actions. Most of them you won't even get to do more than one time. Yeah. Because you spent six actions upgrading. There's also a technology track and a, a... On your board and as you move up this track and there's like a book symbol that indicates moving up on it you're gonna unlock different technologies that will either give you like ongoing abilities throughout the game or the later ones are just like a sweet instant ability which are really really good yeah and there's also a Charles University track which you're moving up as well and all that really does is at the end of the game you'll multiply where you are on that track by where you are on the technology track so that one's just kind of end game points that you get, and you get to move up that track every time you do an upgrade and do various other things.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: What I thought was really cool about this game was the end game trigger. I don't know how this worked on tabletop simulator, but there's this little cube in the gear, and sorry, you're gonna start with a tracker on a different space depending on where how many players you are, and then every time um, the gear turns around. It's going to fall into this little slot and stop the gear from turning, and then you're going to move the tracker down one space, and that's going to be keeping track of how far toward, how close you are to the end. And once you cross a certain line on there, you're going to swap out all the buildings for these age 2 buildings, which are just better buildings. Um, so I thought that was really cool, too. That was like a really cool part of the like game components that was... I thought was interesting. It didn't work like perfectly, especially in a two-player game. Because in the three and a four-player, you know when it falls in, you just move it over. But in a two-player, it's like when it falls in, wait five more turns, and then you know to move to age two. So it didn't work perfectly with two people, but it was still really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. On TTS, it was it was all automated. It was a really really good mod. Uh, so uh, we would just press a button when we we're done our turn, and it would move the thing, and then if we needed to adjust anything if we needed to say hey well now uh, we've spent enough time that it's now age two the the game would actually just tell us it was, oh nice. it was really sophisticated
1: yeah that sounds good because were you playing with two people yes i was oh, okay because yeah with the two people it doesn't work perfectly but still very cool um, so that's just the, I guess the basic gameplay is on your turn, you're just gonna be picking a, picking a, picking an action, doing the thing. In the beginning, those actions are gonna be pretty small. By the end, you might trigger several things on your turn. Um, I thought this game was really cool because even though it was really overwhelming on the table, it kind <laughs> of immediate it kind of immediately makes sense. There's yeah. only six actions that you can do. So once you understand those six actions, I think the game makes a lot of sense and is pretty easy to understand. And there was, like, kind of an immediate thing in my mind that was like, okay, I kind of know exactly what I want to do for my first couple turns. Like, I want to get some upgrades. I want to increase on some of these, like, income tracks on my board. So it wasn't like a game where I was like, wow, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to begin.
0: Yeah, I totally I totally agree with that. I, I think the game... Uh, Like you just spent uh, several minutes like describing how it works in a little bit more detail. Um, But like to just to just like look at the board, it's just it can be overwhelming before you jump into like how everything fits Mm -hmm. together because you have the track for your technology. You have the track for your university. You have the track for your gold income. You have the track for your uh, uh, stone income. Then you have the cathedral track and the hunger track and where you are on the bridge. Uh, and then you have this big gear in the top right-hand corner. It's like, what's that about? And so just like, I think visually the game is super intimidating.
1: Yeah. And there's even so many things that I'm even realizing now that I haven't even covered. There's like, you can control buildings on the board that are going to give you bonuses. But that was one downfall of playing with a two-player, a two-player game is like the Actual board where you were playing buildings didn't really fill up that much, and I think in a four-player game, that's going to be a lot more important and interesting. Also, just like the tiles, we weren't cycling through them as fast. So, like, there isn't there is a way that you can spend gold or stone to like refresh some of those tiles. But I think in a four-player game, those tiles are just going to be getting refreshed more often anyway.
0: Yeah, I think after a first play of this game at two players. I have a really good understanding of how to play this game poorly because I think I think my my goals my plans how I approached things my like every step of the way I made suboptimal moves and Mm. I did a thing like I did an upgrade on my upgrade and it was one of two upgrades I ever did. And so, like, I only got that benefit one time. And the other thing I upgraded, I only did one time after I upgraded it. Oh, okay. I didn't really have a direction. So I just thought, well, efficiency is good and upgrades are efficient. They're free. Uh, And they make you better at certain things. But I didn't know what I wanted to be better at. Do you know what I mean?
1: Definitely. Honestly, I got kind of lucky because, like, I upgraded my wall building, (laughs) <laughs> or like going on the Charles wall mm. action. Okay. And then just that action was often readily available with a bonus that I wanted. Nice, so I nice kind of got lucky with that, but yeah. like, I didn't really plan that out. It just sort of happened. Um, but no, I, I agree that like, I'm really excited to play this game again. I wish there was, maybe I just need to get some roly chairs because <laughs> it's impossible to sit down and play this game. I don't know if anyone out there has played this game while sitting the entire time. if so, Please let me know what you did, where you sat, so that I can always sit there when I play this game. Um, one thing I really liked about this game is it felt really fast, even though it was long.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with that. How, how long was your play? Do you know?
1: So I, it was, I'm mad because I didn't look at, I've looked at the time. I don't, I don't like time my plays, but I looked at the time before the teach and after it was two hours and 50 minutes for the teach plus playing it.
0: 1-5 or five oh uh five o. okay and so i would almost guess three the teach
1: hours. was probably yeah and i would guess the teach was probably <laughs> half an hour like 20 minutes half an hour um because we were both um like someone had learned it by reading the book and then taught it to me but it still like even while teaching me it was kind of like we were both learning it together yeah so the that, teach that took a little sense. bit longer than usual
0: uh, our I game mean, I,
1: don't, I don't i don't know what the usual would be because <clears> i've only played it one time but... fair
0: enough our game was an hour 25 Oh, Uh, damn. Not including the teach. Oh, okay. So it wasn't quite as long as yours. um, But our teach was probably like a half hour for sure.
1: I feel like the fourth player, it's going to be a lot longer. Yeah, this one, honestly, I, I can't believe you were that much faster. But by the end, I was definitely taking a long time to think about what I wanted to do. Like when you realize you only have three turns left and yeah. there's so much you want to do and you just kind of have to sit there and be like, okay, what is going to get me the most points? Yeah. That's pretty much everything that I wanted to say about it. I've really loved this game though. And I can't wait to play it again. I can't wait to play it at a four player because I think <laughs> a lot of the elements are going to work together even better. And even the gear, the, the actions that like, I don't know, I found that like the action selection with these bonuses is really interesting and um with four player that's just gonna be getting swapped out a lot more and you're gonna get the actions you want with the bonus that you want a little bit more or less potentially yeah. i don't know
0: yeah uh, i will say i do want to talk about like the table presence a little bit more because okay. we, we talked about the gear and then you have your own personal board and your own personal board keeps track of your resources with like these dials
1: oh right yeah I, f- I forgot that
0: are the really dials. cool and tactile Um, Mm. when they get to a certain point, they'll like dislodge something. And then you get that as a thing you can use later on, which is really nice.
1: And you get like a benefit underneath the little cube that unlocks. Uh, and
0: the, both the tracks, the cathedral and the hunger wall are like three dimensional objects Mm -hmm. and the, the bridge itself is a 3d object. So the game really just like elevates off the table. Uh, and even in TTS, it looks super cool and I can't imagine how cool it looks in real life like oh my mm. god i can't wait to play that
1: I, it looks very cool one thing is you're gonna need a big table to play this as four player because it's not even like you can bring the board close to the like you can fit your little player board because you've got your side action tile where you're gonna be building walls out of so you need quite a bit of space to be able to build that beside you even though i'm excited to play it at four player i think i'm gonna need to buy a new table um okay so what did you want to talk about billy
0: i want to talk about kickstarter i don't want to talk about a specific game at all and i might bring up some games in this conversation Oh, okay but i just want to talk about the impact of kickstarter on board gaming as a hobby
1: Ooh, i love it let's get into it
0: so we've talked about a few kickstarter games before Uh, i've recommended a few kickstarter games but for the most part when we've been talking about kickstarters they've been kickstarters that have happened in the past um when we talked about paladins of the west kingdom it was because we had kickstarted it and we had received our kickstarters right yeah and i just i have a lot of opinions about kickstarter and i think kickstarter is Super, I think it has some elements that are incredibly good for the board gaming hobby. And I think it is incredibly dangerous. And I think right now it is more destructive than it is helpful.
1: I I don't know. I think that you definitely know more about Kickstarter and the impact on the industry. I think that the idea behind like an indie board game creator wants to create a new game so they don't have and they don't have the money to do it so they're going to create a kickstarter i think that's great but i don't think that's primarily what kickstarter like is known for in the board game community it's like (laughs) big big companies trying to market their games trying to be like the fastest to fund a game and that's kind of what it has turned into versus the like the nice reason for it where it's like helping fund these games that can't, couldn't be funded or created without Kickstarter.
0: Yeah, you, you can look at something like Kingdom Death Monster, which was on Kickstarter uh, like se- many years ago at this point, <laughs> many, <laughs> several years ago at this point. And Kingdom Death Monster just was not going to exist without Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And it, it raised many millions of dollars. And you can say what you'd like about whether or not that's actually a good thing because it's been several years and a lot of that content has not been delivered to consumers. But I think kingdom death monster was being used for the reason that Kickstarter is exciting. It was a game that didn't have a chance at existing. Nobody as a publisher was going to say, yeah, let's build this $400 game.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i I like that about kickstarter i like that it creates games like that but there's even though i've supported them there's like simon or come on that definitely has the money to be producing these games that are putting games out there just for the hype of it i think just like as a pre-order kind of thing
0: yeah yeah it it is being used primarily as a pre-order platform and i i think i have some issues with that and i think like, I think it is hard to look at Kickstarter and support it in its current use in the industry. And that is coming in an, inc- like, let, let's let put our cards on the table. I am being incredibly hypocritical here because mm-hmm. I have supported Kickstarter. I've supported Kickstarter a lot, um, a lot in the last year, a lot since having these opinions. But I think if we look at the things that I've Kickstarted over the past year i think what i am kickstarting has vastly changed uh so so like let's let's look at let's look at renegade games let's look at uh Garpill and paladins of the west kingdom and viscounts of the west kingdom right because they they use kickstarter for their projects Mm -hmm. and uh side note i've actually used kickstarter before for projects um and kickstarter like let, let's talk about the let, let's talk economics for a minute. Kickstarter takes like a small cut. That cut is somewhere between uh, like four and ten percent, depending on the size of the project, which is really good. <laughs> like a publisher creates a game and sells it, let's say for a hundred dollars. And let's say worst case scenario, Kickstarter takes ten percent of that, so they they make ninety dollars, and the consumer is paying hundred dollars. If you go to okay. a friendly lo- local game store right now, and you spend hundred dollars on a game, they bought that game from the distributor for like sixty or seventy bucks, and the distributor bought it from the publisher. So the publisher is making. Uh, uh, like a fraction, let's say, let's be optimistic. Let's say the publisher is making like 40 bucks on that game. And then in Kickstarter, their their profit margin is like doubling. Well, no, not their profit margin. The, the amount that they can charge, the amount that they make per game.
1: Okay.
0: There's a lot more like external costs associated with mm-hmm. Kickstarter as opposed to just like giving it to a distributor. But when you have a company using Kickstarter for that purpose they are making more per title or they are retaining a higher percentage of that game and like <laughs> don't get me wrong like i'm i'm not a super wealthy person i am very happy like if we could just cut out distributors and have all the money go to like friendly local game stores and publishers like i'd be so happy with that it's like like distributors are just a byproduct of like yay let's talk about economics and politics distributors are like just a byproduct of capitalism and us needing to have so many games going out there but distributors are making money for like doing a lot of legwork and stuff Mm -hmm. but the issue that i have with that is that if a if if you are making 90 dollars as opposed to 40 dollars And then I spend $100 and you make all that money. And then someone else goes to their friendly local game store, gets the game on sale for $80. It just just drastically changes value in board gaming. And it heavily charges people for wanting to support the publisher directly. It heavily charges them for wanting to have the title early. I have stopped supporting Renegade and Garpil on Kickstarter because I know that I can just wait, save money, and get the game roughly at the same time.
1: Yeah, honestly, with Renegade, with Paladins and with Viscounts, I saw the game in the games, like, in our local game store before I actually got it. And there wasn't even, like, Kickstarter-exclusive stuff. It was, like, the same game. I got the, like extra coins, but I could have just got those separately anyway. So I was like, I'm not really actually gaining anything from doing this Kickstarter. I'm even getting the game later than people who didn't kickstart it.
0: Yeah, the only thing you are gaining is that you are supporting the publisher with more of your money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is good. Um, and like, I don't want to like diminish that, but if I can spend $100 knowing that the publisher is getting $90 or knowing that the publisher is getting $40, I am going to do the one that gives the publisher more money. But if the difference is spending $120 cause I have to pay for shipping and then it comes through customs and I have to pay VAT on it. Like an extra $20 out of my pocket isn't something that I want to do. And then the other yeah. thing is if everything just trans transitions to kickstarter and everyone fulfills their own games like what what is going to happen to friendly local game stores because them getting that money is is really important to me because it doesn't matter right now but i want there to be a space in my community where i can go and window shop for games i want there to be a space that's going to hold events i want there to be a space that's going to have tournaments for things and it's going to bring in uh like promos and fancy stuff that i can't really get from publishers Mm -hmm. and if all of our spending transitions into kickstarter which i'm not saying it is yeah then i think that's an incredibly negative thing for board gaming as a hobby
1: i agree with that I, i don't know i guess like you have actually worked at a friendly local game store so you might have influence like do you know how much kickstarter has affected the like in store shopping, for, or not even in store, but like the sales of a, of a local game store?
0: Uh, will... On an individual title, no. On the grand scale, no. Uh, but be- because, like, if you look at it, it a, a single game being kickstarted is going to have almost a negligible effect on the friendly local game store. Right? But thousands so, yeah. of games being kickstarted is going to have an impact. And are there going to be friendly local game stores that close down when they might not have closed down if Kickstarter didn't exist? Probably. Um, but I don't really know the full impact of that. And I think it is important to say that, like, the numbers that I've said aren't, like, necessarily super accurate numbers. Yeah. Kickstarter does take between, like, 4 and 10%. That is accurate. Or at least it was when I was Kickstarting. Um, but... I don't know the exact financial breakdown of distributors and friendly local game stores and margins and whatnot. And it will vary from game store to game store as well.
1: Yeah. Are you, so you're off, like, are you not going to kickstart anymore? Or are there some games that you think you will still kickstart?
0: Well, I have a Kickstarter that I am preparing to spend money on right now. Uh, There is the Castles of Mad King Ludwig Collector's Edition on Kickstarter right now. And I do want to talk about... I just took some time to, like, complain and say that I think Kickstarter is bad. But I do think Kickstarter has a purpose. I talked about Kingdom Death Monster. Um, And I think... Like, I think KDM being on Kickstarter was good. I also think Kickstarter is really good for buying things that you have experienced. So I think TTS is incredible for Kickstarters. Having people have the opportunity to play a game before they buy it is super cool. And the reason that I think not like blind buying games on Kickstarter is. I, it's bad, like let, we can just say that it is bad. It is marketing preying on FOMO and people's fear Ooh. of not getting the cool thing.
1: Absolutely. It works on me all the time. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. And it, it's so interesting because, like, you can look at Kickstarter. Uh, like, let's let's talk about Darwin's Journey. Darwin's Journey just finished on Kickstarter. Um, it's right. a game by um, S- Simone Luciani and Nestor Mangone, who designed Newton. And it looks super cool. The Kickstarter was awesome. There's little seals in it that you use to like upgrade your workers that are supposed to be like wax seals and they're like little pieces of cardboard but in the fancy edition they're they're like little plastic wax seals and it's just cool and little upgrades like that i think are really good because it does give the consumer the ability to say well do i want this game for a cheaper price Or do I want to pay more money for it and to upgrade things because different people want different things out of their games, right? Do I want to spend $110 and get cool lenses that have see-through glass in them for the action spots and get the wax seals or do I just want cardboard? And having that choice is very good, I think. And having Kickstarters that do things like that is interesting. I personally... If I want to buy Darwin's Journey and I don't care about the glass and I don't care about the wax seals, I don't think you should kickstart it. Like, I just, I don't think Kickstarter, like, like you're going to pay more money to get it and it's not really giving you anything special. But if you're spending more money for like cool upgrades and fancy things, I think that's super worth it.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This, this question, this Discussion's making me question so much of, like, my Kickstarter purchasing because, well, I guess, like, Ankh is the one that I've definitely spent the most money on ever in my life. And the reason why I was, like, so sure that I wanted to get it is because when Rising Sun came out and I've played the Kickstarter, like, the full, like, fancy Kickstarter version of Rising Sun... I was like, this is amazing. And, like, every time I play the just, like, regular bot b- version, I feel like it's, like, a little bit less exciting. So even though I, like, don't, like, even at the time when I kickstarted Ankh, didn't really know that much about the gameplay, I knew I wanted the souped-up version of it.
0: Yeah, you were just trusting the designer and you were trusting the the publisher. Yeah. Um, and, and stuff like that is, it, it's cool. Like, don't get me wrong, It's it's... It's cool. But like, why? When I go to the friendly local game store, why do I waffle back and forth about spending 30 bucks on a game that looks cool? But then come home, look at Kickstarter. And I'm like, yeah, 140 bucks for this plus (laughs) shipping later. I don't even know how much shipping is going to be. Sign me up.
1: So true.
0: Like, I think it is incredibly exploitative the way it's being used by the community right now i think it's dangerous and i think i I think consumers should be incredibly wary of kickstarter and that like i have a list of things i've kickstarted in front of me right now and if i look through them like a lot of them are things that i've kickstarted for various reasons so like let's i'll just like go through a few marvel united i kickstarted marvel united without looking at the rule book because the price of that game for the amount of miniatures that you get in a cool chibi style is awesome. Because, frankly, I don't care about the game. I just want to paint those miniatures. <laughs> and, I, like, I think that is a good use of Kickstarter. Because, like, if that shows up and I don't like the game, I'm not going to care. I bought it for the miniatures. Right. Frosthaven. uh, kickstarted Ooh. Frosthaven because the price of Gloomhaven's Kickstarter was the same as the price of it in friendly local game stores. And you get it earlier. And I incredibly... Like, I f- I'm going to buy Frosthaven anyway. Um, Railroad Inc. Challenge. I've played Railroad Inc. I want cool upgrades for it. Um, seventh Citadel. Like, another seventh continent? I'm I'm about. And it's the only place to get serious pulp games. Um, Dinosaur Island Roarin' Right. I shouldn't have kickstarted that. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't need it i could have just bought it retail Uh, Mm -hmm. cartographers heroes again i've played cartographers and i love it and i want fancy upgrades for it uh castles of mad king ludwig collector's edition i already bought a polish import of that game (laughs) because i love it so much and wanted Mm -hmm. cool art so like a collector's edition of it i absolutely want and, like, I look at those, my recent Kickstarters, compared to my early Kickstarters, where it's like, I don't know this game. I haven't played it. I haven't watched a playthrough. But, man, this marketing is good. And, wow, I think that's so dangerous.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember getting into the hobby, and I was asking everyone, like, how do you know what games to kickstart like everyone's like oh yeah i kickstarted this game or i got this one full and i'm like well like how did you know like what would be a good one and people were just kind of like well you just kind of (laughs) know and i don't know don't i know it's so like interesting even having this discussion now and realizing it's like people don't really know and did they just kind of like fall into these like marketing ploys of these big companies um or people are kickstarting a game of like Their friend who's trying to get a design, like just trying to start out as a designer, which I think is like a really awesome thing that Kickstarter does is give these like indie designers kind of a chance. I Uh, wish
0: that's what it was more of. Same. I think Kickstarter should be used for two things. It should be used for small companies that don't really have the capital to print the game. Mm -hmm. Because then you can kickstart as an elaborate pre-order service. They can use that money to make the game and then deliver the game. And that's super good. Or incredibly fancy deluxe versions of things.
1: <laughs> it's like, like two ends of the spectrum there. But well, yes. <laughs> they're
0: both games that aren't going to be made otherwise. Yeah. Like because it... are they going to make a super fancy Castles of Mad King Ludwig um, with tiles that are four times the size just for fun and put it through retail? No, they're not going to. But it's a game that people are going to buy because they like castles. Not because the marketing looks good.
1: And because when they, if they kickstart it, depending on how many people, they know exactly how much they're going to need to produce of that versus making just like a bunch and then it doesn't sell and they've just lost a bunch of money.
0: Yeah. As opposed to something like uh, Paladins or Viscounts on Kickstarter, which I think is like, I think that's bad for the platform. Totally. Totally. Um, Um, My
1: mic is sitting on Paladins right now and I'm just giving it dirty looks, but I still still
0: love it. (laughs) Let's clarify, I think those games are incredible and I am Mm. happy to own them. I just think it's manipulative.
1: Mm. Also, I was doing, I just did a little bit of like a search on this and apparently it's a thing that companies do where they'll put up a Kickstarter because now it's like something to be something to show off is like oh this game was funded in under 24 hours and companies will put up their kickstarter and like market it and if it doesn't sell out right away they'll cancel it start their marketing over and then put the kickstarter up again to try and beat whatever they did the previous time
0: yeah because kickstarter is broken
1: yeah very interesting (laughs) This is definitely going to make me question future Kickstarter. Cause I, I do I love my friendly local game store. I love going there and I don't I I kind of agree with what you said where you're like when I'm in there, I'm like, ooh, do I really need this game that I like really want? Versus on Kickstarter, I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do this. Don't know anything about this game, but seems cool.
0: Yeah, like I, I think the question of impulse spending. Like, if you are like, ooh, should I buy this $60 game at this friendly local game store? Well, you'd be supporting the friendly local game store and making sure that they continue to thrive. You'd be supporting the publisher. You'd be supporting the distribution. Whereas if you just, like, back that same game on Kickstarter, like, you're just supporting the publisher, which is good. But then you're also supporting the feedback loop of Kickstarter works. Keep kickstarting games. Yeah. Yeah and i do just think like friendly local game stores sell games at good prices or at least Mm -hmm. the ones in and around toronto ontario do so like why would you pay more why would you do a kickstarter where you don't know how much the shipping is going to cost for a game that you can just buy at the same time it will ship to you
1: yeah I don't know. I, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't know if there's like a solution for it. A solution for it, unless companies just start being less marketing and schemey about their kickstarters.
0: <laughs> yeah, I doubt. I doubt that's going to happen. I think the solution is like as consumers, and this is something that I'm trying to do more in the future. You ask, well, why? Why would I kickstart this? Like, yeah. Um, I mentioned Darwin's Journey, really cool upgrades on Kickstarter. Um, But then Tinner's Trails on Kickstarter by Alley Cats Games. It's a Martin Wallace reprint from 2008. I just played it this afternoon. It's good. It is a good game. Uh, Martin Wallace, a Martin Wallace reprint is my favorite game of all time. It is uh, Brass Birmingham, Martin Wallace, and then Roxley redid it. And I was like, yes, so Tinner's Trail, I'm excited. I want to see. I played it on TTS. It's good. There is no reason for me to kickstart it. Right. And do I want the game? Maybe. But maybe even slightly less now that I've played it on TTS, which would be another interesting conversation to have the effect of TTS on the industry. Mm-hmm. Um. But like, I just don't think there's any reason that that game needs to be kickstarted. So I'm not going to I get that I'm not going to pay for it on Kickstarter
1: is it already funded on Kickstarter
0: uh, it is currently live I think it finishes up in like six days so it'll be like on okay. its last legs um, right as this episode comes out it'll be like the final few days um, I
1: guess the the other reason to do it would be to make sure it gets funded but if it's like definitely funded then there's no real reason
0: absolutely but I think with so many of the games, to, to have a good Kickstarter, you need to have awesome images. You need to have awesome reviews to like really like nail Kickstarter. Um, you're like aesthetically it needs to work. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I think it usually means that most of the money has been spent on it. So like, right. why are we like, let's go back to Kingdom Death Monster. Kingdom Death Monster kickstarted a whole bunch of things that hadn't been designed yet based on concepts and ideas. Because uh, Poots, the designer of KDM, was like, this is what I want to do. But I need money to do it. Right. That's good. That's a good use of Kickstarter. Also, like, like let's just praise KDM's Kickstarter even more, even though it hasn't fulfilled after several years. But there was a thing on Kickstarter for KDM called The Gambler's Chest. And I think it was like $125. And it was like, the The gambler's chest is going to have a whole bunch of content in it. We're going to like roll a die each day to find out what we should put in it next. Right? So you kickstarted it and you just like watched them roll dice and see what they added to your thing, which was really cool. Uh, I pre-ordered the gambler's chest, not on Kickstarter. I bought it on the Black Friday sale for like $300 and the Kickstarter pledges paid 125 for it because there's just so much added value there. And something like that is really good. Something that really rewards the people who made it happen, who gave the, gave the money to make sure that something could happen. You know what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I just like keep watching Kickstarters. I keep seeing things pop up, uh, like Tinner's trail where I'm like, this doesn't really need to be on Kickstarter. Like most of the graphic design is done. Alley Cats, you're like I don't know what your finances are like, but you're not a new name to me. Like I've I've heard of your games. I've seen your games. I don't really think this needs to be kickstarted.
1: Yeah. Totally. What do you mean the Kickstarter for KDM? Sorry, this is probably just like an aside. I thought they like the Kickstarter hasn't fulfilled yet for KDM.
0: Uh so KDM had It was an incredibly ambitious Kickstarter, which is why it raised like $10 million. I'm talking about the second KDM Kickstarter as well. Um, So they kickstarted the base game, which would ship in wave one, and then other stuff, which would ship in wave two. So if you went all in, you got like four waves of shipping. Oh, cool. And I think only the first two waves have actually fulfilled.
1: Interesting. And is that one where you have to pay a bunch of shipping every time it comes in?
0: Uh, I didn't kickstart it, so I don't know the like shipping side of that. But I just think using Kickstarter to make something happen, as opposed to using Kickstarter to let people pre-order the game, is a better system. They Renegade was going to publish Paladins regardless. Yeah. Why'd we kickstart it?
1: just for hype
0: right like yeah um i I know that quins from shut up and sit down talks about kickstarter several times and he he says he two things that he has said that really stuck with me was your excitement for the kickstarter peaks when you pledge and he also said stop buying add-ons for games you haven't played and i think that's fair like if you're waffling at the friendly local game store, do you spend $30 on this cool game that looks good or do you not? Like, maybe you should waffle a little bit more about, do you spend $250 on this game you've never played to make sure you get everything? What if you don't like the base game?
1: Mm. It's kind of just the thing about online shopping in general. I don't know what it is about online shopping that make, makes people more likely to spend money.
0: Yeah, right?
1: i'm loving this discussion but we are coming up on an hour so maybe we should move to our nerd adjacent musings i
0: I think i've said most of what i want to say um but the too long didn't read if you just jumped ahead to get to the nerd adjacent musings (laughs) like we should really think about the impact that our money has on the systems around us
1: agreed this has given me a lot to think about
0: that's just me ranting despite buying almost a Kickstarter a month this year. <laughs> I don't think I'll be doing that in 2021.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to. Well, also, my bank account has been hurting, so it's <laughs> another reason I've stopped spending money on games. I'll just be, like, enjoying the ones that are prepaid and coming in.
0: Um, oh, yeah. Like, the amount of cool games I'm going to get in 2021 or 2022 <laughs> is, like, I am hyped for it. I didn't need to spend that much money on them, though.
1: Totally. (laughs) Um, Okay. What is your nerd adjacent musing?
0: I feel like I've been talking a lot, so why don't why don't we do yours first?
1: Okay, I'm excited. I'm really excited about mine. I need to cool down. Okay, so I actually I'm like uh, slightly actually I I have a faint memory of you telling me about this three years ago, but I might be completely wrong. Okay. Um. So. I was really, I was really, I'm so freaking bored. Uh, I was looking for a new video game. um, And my all-time favorite is Banjo-Kazooie. I think I've talked to you about it. I mean, I know I've talked to you about it before. And so I was like looking up to see if they were ever going to like redo Banjo-Kazooie, but like with updated graphics. And this is something that a lot of people have asked for but they're not doing it. And then I came across this game. It's called Ukulele, and it's the spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie. Have you heard of it? Have you, have uh, you talked about it?
0: Well, Maggie, <laughs> I kickstarted oh, it. Boy. Oh, Okay. Cause
1: I actually, I saw that it still holds the record for like, like most successful Kickstarter, which is funny because uh, we're talking about Kickstarter, but it still holds a record for like UK biggest Kickstarter or something like that. I saw it on the website today. Um,
0: and also, let me just say that I think they used Kickstarter incredibly well.
1: Mm-hmm. It was a group I of people
0: who came together with a passion project that they couldn't afford.
1: I agree, and also I think they were like, "Would people actually want this? Would they play it?" But so do you. I think that maybe when we talked about Banjo Kazooie three years ago, you must have brought this game up to me.
0: I probably did. Yeah, I have it, and I really enjoyed it.
1: Okay, well, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I'm only on the second world, because I've only been playing it for, like, three days. Um, But I'm really enjoying it. It's, like, definitely a game where if you like Banjo-Kazooie, you're going to like this game. If you just like games in general and are playing a lot of the, like, new popular open world game, this might not be the game for you, because it is, like, it's got, like, a specific play style that is... It's just kind of, like, a newer Banjo-Kazooie. I still like Banjo-Kazooie a bit more. But, yes, yes. Um, and
0: I think you will continue to like Banjo-Kazooie yeah. a bit more.
1: But this one's definitely like scratching the itch. And it's like, it's such a I. what I like about these games is like, they're easy, but they're just like, there's so much to do. It's like such a good game for like completionists who like to like collect all of the things in a world. And it's like, I don't know, I've been really enjoying it. One thing is growing up I had a sibling. I mean I still have a sibling, but like when we would play video games together, like we would always play like one player games and take turns with the controller. I think a lot of siblings did this. and I do miss that when playing this game. like I, I wish I had my like sister with me so we could be like figuring out all the puzzles together. but I'm still really enjoying it.
0: That sounds and I'm so glad lovely. that you've played
1: it before. Did you play the second one as well? I didn't, a...
0: no. I, I played the first one. I enjoyed it. I got to the final boss. Um, no
1: spoilers.
0: And I never actually completed the final boss. Mm. I, I, I thought the fight was fine, but I didn't really, like, feel the need to. I lost a few times, put it down, and then just forgot about it.
1: Honestly, that actually happened to me with, like, banjo kazooie because like wow. in in banjo kazooie well no i i did eventually beat it but like what i loved about banjo kazooie was, was all the different worlds that you do and then you beat the bot or you're tr- you're trying to beat grundy and it was really hard and it wasn't really like anything that you'd had to do in the game so far and it took me like a, w- a while and a lot of coming back to it to actually finally beat it um One thing I haven't gotten to most of the worlds, like, again, I'm only on the second world. I did see a review that said, like, as you go through the worlds, they become, like, less elaborate and less thought out. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I'm so glad that you've played it. It's been probably,
0: like, five years since I played it. So I don't really have any initial thoughts on that. But I remember really enjoying the game throughout all of it. Uh, Mm. The world design is so interesting. The character design. And also all of the endless callbacks to banjo kazooie like if you like banjo kazooie you should play this game because even if you're like well banjo kazooie is way better the the nostalgia that you'll feel playing this Mm. game for banjo kazooie is just so cool
1: and like i i can't imagine someone liking banjo kazooie and not enjoying this game unless you're like You literally just want to play banjo kazooie then in that case just go play it
0: yeah if you're Um, a banjo kazooie purist
1: yeah but it's got like like the jinjos and banjo kazooie are ghosts in ukulele there's all these characters something that i think is cool that they did in this game is in banjo kazooie you're like going through all this stuff you're coming across like grundy's evil sister that's telling you all this like gossip about grundy and then when you get to the very end you have to complete like this board game type I don't know if you call it a yeah I would guess it's like a board game track thing where on each space you have to like answer a trivia question or like do a mini game or something like that it was kind of unexpected and I like didn't I remember the first time I came to it uh like I didn't remember any of the things and then I just lost like over and over and over again to the point where I like ran back the whole game and like wrote down everything that was said because like (laughs) by the time I got to the end I was like okay now I'm actually going to know what's going on but in this game it seems like between worlds you get a little quiz in between each world and I wasn't expecting it and I didn't like remember everyone's like all the characters names from the first world and now that, that now that that's happened I'll remember okay each world I should keep track of like the characters that I'm meeting what exactly they're asking for like is it underpants or is it shorts that's hanging on my ship yeah, sorry that yeah. Was, that was a question that I got asked, and I was like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's my nerd adjacent musing. I've been enjoying it, and I will keep you updated on my progress in it.
0: Awesome, yeah, uh, sweet. Uh, my nerd adjacent musing is actually board game nerd adjacent musing. It's it's it, I, I guess like we could I could just have talked about it during an episode normally.
1: It's a board game. Kind of. Okay.
0: Um, oh, also, side note. Last episode, I mentioned that I was going to be talking about QE this episode. Uh, I was feeling passionate about Kickstarter, so I didn't. But I-, I will talk about QE next episode. So if you're sitting there going, what about QE? It's coming.
1: If you tuned in for QE. Sorry. Uh,
0: so so my my nerd-adjacent musing is an idea that I'm working on. Ooh! So it is a Keyforge cube, and I'm not oh, the first right. person to have thought of this. Other people have done this in the past, um, but I have started and I have been working on a Keyforge cube. So a cube, for those who aren't into like magic and drafting card games, a cube is like a draft. So a draft being when you would, in a standard like Magic draft, you'd open a pack. Let's say you'd get your cards from the pack. You'd choose one. To keep you would pass the rest of the cards to the next player and at the same time another player would be passing you a chunk of cards and you go through that process until you have like let's say 45 cards and then you'd use those 45 cards to build like a 30 card deck or something so you're drafting a whole bunch of cards to try to create the best deck that you can that's a standard draft a cube is when those cards don't come in packs and instead It is a curated set of cards. So let's say there's however many cards you would need for everyone to draft those 45 cards. And you're just going to shuffle like the whole thing and deal out cards like you would packs to do the draft.
1: So So why is it called a cube? Is it because it's just kept in a box? Is there an actual cube? I have (laughs) no idea. Okay.
0: So I've been working on a Keyforge cube. Keyforge is a game you can't draft. Um but that's not going to stop me. Uh the, the reason <laughs> I'm working on this is because Board Game Bliss, uh one of the local game stores in Toronto had a Boxing Day sale where they were selling um display cases of Keyforge, which is 12 decks, which is 39 cards per deck, which is in my head math that I'm not doing. Mm. But those were $7. So I bought several of them. And then I just opened all the decks. And was instead it of Yes, it was so fun. instead of leaving the decks together like Keyforge decks normally should be, I just split all the cards up.
1: Based on their uh, Based houses? on their house.
0: So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to build a cube of I think 448 cards, which is the original 7 houses of Keyforge, 64 cards per house. And my plan is to have 64 unique cards per house so that if you decide not to draft a card, you know that that's the only copy of that card in the cube. And then every player will draft 56 cards, accommodating eight players. Uh, And then out of those 56 cards, you build a deck of 30 to 39 cards. Um, I'm not sure the numbers on that because I like in Keyforge, you can't have more than like 10 cards of a house or 13 cards of a house, depending on what I settle on. Uh, So I'm not sure if I should do a smaller number to make sure that everyone gets enough cards. Because what happens if you only draft eight cards of a house, right?
1: Yeah, I don't Uh, know how you're going to regulate that. But there's there's definitely a way. And like, I'm so excited for you to figure it out. Yeah, I think what
0: I'm thinking about right now, Maggie, is... Just trying the first one with 39 cards. So you have to draft 39 cards, which is a standard Keyforge deck. Or sorry, you draft 56 cards, and then you need to build a 39-card deck. And just the... the You can have more than three houses, that's fine. But the rule is you must have a maximum of 13 cards per house. To force you to try to get just three houses.
1: Oh, so in like you, you could have a fourth house?
0: Yeah, if you draft poorly.
1: Like in your deck? Yes. <gasps> Whoa.
0: Because then the idea would be, well, you don't want that because that objectively makes your deck worse. And right, keyforge, okay. you can only activate one house per turn. So if you have four different houses it's going to take you longer to do stuff and you're yeah. going to end up with dead cards in your hand. So you're going to want to make sure that you draft 13 cards of each house, that's but actually, I don't know if that's going to be reason, too difficult. So like,
1: no, I don't, I don't think it will be.
0: I just don't want, want anyone to ever like have all of a certain house drafted out from under them and then feel like they've lost already. So I, I might do like 30 card decks, 10 each, but I don't know yet, but that, that's my nerd adjacent musing. I'm, I'm building a Keyforge cube. I'm, most of the way there right now i have two houses completely filled um and then every other house is between like 45 uh five and like 62 cards so i just need a few more unique cards so i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna spend full price on a few decks get a few decks from different sets and try to use those to fill out the rest of the cards
1: oh okay why from different sets
0: because I want unique cards. So right. I, the 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 cases that I got were from Age of Ascension. And mm. if I get more Age of Ascension, the chance for repeats is much higher. Because I just opened like right. 40 Age of Ascension decks.
1: <laughs> Do you think that if you get it from different cycles, though, it might be like imbalanced?
0: Um, For my initial cube, I don't care. Right, right, right. Okay. I, cool. I think... Finding out whether it is unbalanced and then modifying the cube as a result is going to be part of the experience of building it. It's not like I'm going to build the cube and then the cube is going to be done. I'm going to build the cube. I'm going to play with the cube. And then if need be, I'm going to alter the cube. Okay. And like moving into the future as I get, as Board Game Bliss keeps putting things on super sale, I'll probably just buy more decks and more cards to like supplement in
1: yeah, that makes sense.
0: Uh, side note, do you know about Mavericks in Keyforge?
1: No, I actually saw you. I can't remember if you posted about it in the Discord, but...
0: I did, yeah. So a Maverick is like a super rare card in Keyforge, And uh, each card that can be in the game like has a house associated with it. So if you're going to get John Smith, uh, that's a Mars card. But a Maverick is a card that exists in a house outside of its native house. So it could be like, John Smith is a Mars card. But in this deck, there's a John Smith in Brobnar. Okay. Which is really weird because it's like, well, the Mars cards are kind of built to synergize together. So is this John Smith card even going to be useful in Brobnar? Who knows? But I currently have one Maverick in the draft. And I would love to get some more Mavericks. But they're just so rare. I got two Mavericks in... In all of my Keyforge that I that I bought. Do so they, like,
1: like, say Maverick on them, or that's just, like, the term for it?
0: Uh, that's the term for it, and the deck list lets you know that it is a Maverick.
1: Oh, okay. Cool. I don't know if I've ever come across one of those.
0: They're very rare. Like Like I said, I got 48 decks, and I just got two of them.
1: Right, okay. Well, I can't wait to give that a try.
0: I'm so ex- it's it's I think the thing I'm most excited to play with more human beings than are in my house. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can't wait to just like go to a bar with all this KeyForge and just like draft the cube and see if it works.
1: Yeah. Um do you have eight friends that play KeyForge?
0: Ah, uh, probably, but not that I've seen in a year. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is True. you can also draft with smaller numbers. You would right. draft just 56 cards per player yeah and i think i think we would do it as four um 14 card packs as well
1: okay i like it
0: that's my plan that's my keyforge plan if anyone has done a keyforge cube or has ideas about a keyforge cube like i would love to hear those ideas please just shoot us a message um or if you think it's stupid keep that to yourself (laughs) or you could tell us yeah Uh, whatever that's fine So
1: we would like you to reach out if you know anything about keyboard cubes or if you know how to sit down for the entire time while playing praga (laughs) so i think that pretty much wraps up this episode thanks so much for tuning in follow us on instagram leave us a review uh
0: check out our twitter uh stop by twitch uh we play games every monday sometimes it's me sometimes it's me and maggie sometimes it's me and guest
1: Yeah, it's super fun. Thanks so much again. Until next time. This was Into the Meepleverse. (laughs) Into the Meepleverse.
0: Into the Meepleverse. Into the Meepleverse. (laughs)